Okay, so we are in week 11 of our Corinthian sermon series, and we are ending off that sermon series today. And when I look back at the book we've just gone through, well, almost, we're stopping at chapter 15 of the 16, in case you didn't know. Looking back at what Paul has given us and the way that he's written to it, I kind of felt like like a show that I used to watch, House. Any of you ever watch House? Yes? Well, you said this morning, so I'm allowed to answer again. <laughs> so in House, uh, Gregory House is a, is a doctor and he's a diagnostician, and so everybody sends him patients and he gets this list of symptoms and then he has to figure out what's wrong with the person because the symptoms don't make sense. And I feel this, this is kind of what Paul has done in Corinthians. Up to now, he's given us a list of symptoms. And in, and in chapter 15, he comes to the point and tells us, all these systems are because of this one thing. Here's the root. Here's the actual sickness. And so we're going we're gonna to look at what that sickness is in the church of Corinth and also in our church as a whole, not just every nation, the body of Christ. What is the thing that is making us a messy church, as it is current? And just to recap, looking at the symptoms in, in week one, we had Pastor Roger Pierce here, and he spoke about unity, and how the Corinthians would say, I'll follow Apollos, I'll follow Peter, I'll follow uh, Jesus, super spiritual. But the reason they did this was because they looked at Paul and the apostles and they said that his gospel was foolish. It was too elementary. It was too simplistic. And so they got themselves teachers that would give them more complicated gospel, like the philosophies of those days, because it felt, it made them feel more important. And so in our church, we still know of people that use uh, other books, listen to other preachers, and look down upon the one-to-one because the one-to-one is too simplistic. And we have the same thing. In chapter 5, Paul spoke to us about a man that was having sex with his mother-in-law. And he spoke about sexuality, and he did that again in chapter 7. And there are people still in our church that are living together and not yet married. And so we have the same symptom. In chapter 6, he spoke about uh, taking uh, believers to court. So the thing is, if, if Christ was raised from the dead, there will be a judgment one day, which means we don't need to take revenge. We don't, we don't need to get justice in the way. We will have justice if we have an eternal mindset. In chapter 8, we looked at food offered to idols and using our liberty and, and living in our liberty and, and if it causes a brother to stumble, to let go of that liberty. Two chapters. Thank Jesus. Two chapters later, he, he speaks about it again and then he says, if you do eat that food, you are, you are consorting with demons. Now we don't, we don't eat food offered to idols or demons. But what we do is we watch certain things that we shouldn't watch. And so it's, it's 
fairly easy just to, to stand around the groups that are catering and every now and again you'll hear what, what they are watching. And we still have people in our church that watch things that they should not watch. You are eating things in your spirit that you should not be taking in and you're consorting with demons. In chapter 13, he spoke about love and how love binds us and, and love should be the one thing that shows the world that we are different. And yet there's still gossip. We have the same symptoms. So the question is why? Why do we have these symptoms? If we claim to be born again, if we claim to love Jesus, why do we have the same symptoms like they did 2,000 years ago and that the greater body of Christ has? I want to say us, I include myself. Why is it that that we spoke about wearing certain clothes and six weeks later we still look at some people coming to church and it's their clothes, it's just not their size. It shouldn't even be in your cupboard. And we have the same symptom. And Paul writes in chapter 15, we won't read the whole chapter, but we'll read from verse 1. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. And there's the first question, are you standing in the gospel? And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Many more who are still alive, although some have died. Verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And that verse is the key verse for tonight. And here's why. <clears throat> They denied the bodily resurrection that will follow one day. And that is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day. It's based on our Easter. And when we live in a certain way, and when our lives show those symptoms, we live as if we don't believe in the resurrection. And then Paul says, Foolish us. Let's read further. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then only even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, those who have died, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. <clears throat> but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 29, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us drink, eat, for tomorrow we die. 
Did not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. I almost drank the microphone. Uh, you can know Martinette's laugh a mile away. So what does Paul do here? He says the reason why this, all these things, all these symptoms are prolific in the church in Corinth is because you don't believe the bodily resurrection. That is the issue. See, our, our faith is, is an interesting faith. It's, it's past tense, it's present tense, it's future tense. Past tense, that Jesus lived and died 2,000 years ago. That our salvation was bought and paid for 2,000 years ago. But we are saved now. And we are saved now. And every second that we go forward, we are saved and sanctified through what happened 2,000 years ago. But all of that will only come to fruition when Jesus returns one day and we get to spend eternity in his presence. So past, present, and future. But the problem arises when, when we live outside of all three. See, when we live now as if the power of 2,000 years ago did not apply, our lives look no different than the world. We look like the secular world. No power, no spirit. The same way, we are powerless. You've got to roll with it when you're up here. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting Indian war signs. I don't know. I was just going to preach, and when it falls down, you're going to move closer, and we're going to have like a heel session. I don't know. So the point is that if, if we don't live according to what happened 2,000 years ago, our lives do not look different than those that do not have Jesus, then what is our testimony? Alternatively, there's a, there are a group of Christians that only live according to a future promise. That whatever's promised in Revelation is true now. The problem with that is that according to them, you should be blessed right now. You should be happy right now. There should be no sickness. If we pray for you and you don't get healed, it's because you're not of faith. That's bad theology. I sat with a friend, uh, and he, he told me he, he wanted some input. He, was, he had a friend, guy's a dentist, and he came to him and he said, listen, uh, God wants us to be happy, doesn't he? And so he had no answer. And then this guy, this doctor, this dentist, goes down to Cape Town for a conference. He takes his secretary with him, and then he starts an affair with his secretary. And he comes back and he leaves his wife and his three daughters. Because God wants him to be happy. Family, you should know that there's no scripture in the whole Bible that says God wants you to be happy. None. Because happiness is an emotional state and we are not driven by our emotions. Happiness is connected to a moment in time. God wants you to be joyful. Because that's a gift. That's a spirit. That's him being in you, part of you. 
taking you through things even if it's tough. Can't be happy when things are tough, can be joyful. See, and these guys are living the way. See, they, they, they claim that there's already been a resurrection and that the resurrection is spiritual. It's not bodily. It's already happened. Because if it's not happened, they are not living in the glory and the majesty of the glory that is to come. They are part of the shame that Jesus carried on this earth. And they have to live in that place right now. The problem is that was, that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. As the master suffered, so you will suffer. The words of Jesus. No slave is bigger than his master. Jesus. Those are his words. We will go through suffering. But there is a future glory. There is a future resurrection which will be a bodily resurrection. We will have a glorified body. And we will spend eternity with our Lord Jesus Christ in that physical manifestation. But until then, there are certain things that need to be in place. And so he says, if that is not true, then we are a bunch of idiots. That's my translation. He says, then if I preach, if we preach, if Marinus and I never preach, stands up here and we preach the gospel, we are deceiving you. We are lying. And then woe to us, because if I read the Bible, those guys that have misinterpreted God to the people, they suffered badly. Most of them got killed. So woe to us. But woe to you, because then you are still in your sin and unsaved. And the best you can hope for is that there's nothing after death, just oblivion. Because if there is an eternity, you're going to hell. That's what he says, but he says it's not so. He says there is a bodily resurrection. And Christ was the first one, the first fruit. And because he raised from the dead, he defeated death. And so we can stand on the fact that we will defeat death. And he came back in a resurrected body, not, his, not the body that went to the grave, a new body. But it, was, but it was a physical body. He ate with the disciples. They physically touched him. A physical body. And so we will be raised in a physical body. First those that believe to join Jesus in his reign and then those that don't believe for the final judgment. And because of that, we can have hope. Because of that, we can let things go. But because of that, we need to let go of those symptoms. Because that is true. We have a voice and we have a purpose on this earth. Because if we don't cling to it, the world looks at us, but it continues to be hopeless. The world looks at us, and we are no different than them. We offer no solution to what is wrong in the world. We have no light. We are no salt. And so the world perishes because we allow sin to define our lives. We allow the symptoms to be part of who we are. And we don't stand up and let the gospel have its full way in who we are. And we cling to certain things because it defines us and we don't want to give over to the Holy Spirit because it might hurt. It might be tough. It might be part of that suffering that God told us we would go through. But it is glorious. It is part of sanctification. 
It is the hand of God and the heart of God coming together to take his son and daughter and pull her or him close and whisper in their ear, call out who he created them to be, changing you and molding you to be more like his son. How glorious, how beautiful. And so we miss it. But Paul starts off with proclaiming the gospel and he gives five things. He says the gospel is the only message by which men can be saved. And it's there for everyone, but it's only the people that will believe it that will be saved. He says this gospel fulfilled every single prophecy in the Old Testament. This Messiah Jesus. And it's both based solely on the work of the man and the God in one, Jesus Christ, who entered earth, gave up his Godship, lived for 33 odd years, sinless, went to the cross, died, walked out of a tomb three days later to go to heaven, go to the Father, and put his blood on the mercy seat in heaven so that all our sins could be forgiven, and then came back to earth to show himself. And it says he showed himself to the 12, first of all to Peter and John, Mary, then to the 12, and then to more than 500 people. Now it's interesting, there's a guy called Chuck Colson. So it's way before you, most of your times, maybe not Graham's. It's called Watergate. You guys ever hear about Watergate? The Watergate scandal? It's in the US. So there was a president called President Nixon. And he had a guy, his right-hand man was a guy called Chuck Colson. And they used to play good cop, bad cop. Both of them were actually the bad cop. But Chuck Colson played the bad cop so that Nixon could look good. And he wasn't put in place by about a dozen men. And so one day, there was a break-in at the Hoover Building, which is the FBI headquarters. Small-scale burglary. But they found some stuff that when they exposed this, toppled Nixon as the president of the United States. And when this was exposed, those 12-odd men lied about everything and tried to cover it up, including Chuck Colson. It lasted for a couple of weeks. And then the FBI came against them and said, Here's what's going to happen. Here's the evidence we have. And the lawyers told them, you're going down. The evidence is overwhelming. And inside of a couple of weeks, all of them recounted, stopped the cover-up, because they all tried to make deals to stay out of prison. Chuck Colson got the, the worst of it. He got the most jail time. But in jail, he got saved. Or not just, God, please help me out, and if I get out, I'll do this, that, and the next thing, like a lot of us pray. He got saved in a massive way. He started a prison ministry that is still going today, 50 years later. And he said he came to faith because of this one fact. They were 12 men that kept a secret for a couple of weeks. And when the smallest pressure came that's going to cost them something, all of them ran and gave up the president. He said, but if you look at the gospel, when Jesus was crucified, everybody ran away. 
All of the disciples ran away for fear of their lives. But then Jesus comes back and he appears to all of them. And he says, from that time on, none of them ran away. 500 men and women. The disciples were all martyred. Peter crucified upside down. One guy, Andrew, sword in half. The brother of Jesus was trampled to death. One of them was tied to four horses and literally pulled apart. John survived his. He was boiled in oil. And then when he survived, they said, well, lucky you. Now you can live on an island all by yourself. That's what Paul's writing about. He says, I can face beasts in Ephesus. But if there's no resurrection, if the gospel is not true, then why would I do that? And this is what Charles Carlson said. It is impossible for 500 men and women to be persecuted and killed in that way and not one of them will deny the faith. It has to be true. And then he comes to the bottom. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he says, because of that, we have hope. It means that Death is not the final stage. It's not the final place. This morning we had two people in the congregation that have lost people this week. And they're sad, but they're hopeful. Sad, but hopeful. It's like an oxymoron. Why? Because the gospel is true because there is a resurrection of the dead. Because even now, we are sorrowful. One day, they will be raised in a glorified body. Because the grand and the father believed in Jesus Christ, in his death and in his resurrection. And so they are bound in his death and his resurrection. But then he says, if it is not so, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. He's quoting the Old Testament. So I want to ask you, why are you sitting here tonight? Do you actually believe that part of the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus was God? Believe he existed? Believe he was crucified, as the, the Bible tells us? Do you believe that he... He got up on the third day, walked out of the tomb. Do you believe that he showed himself to 500 and then went to heaven and is coming back? Because he says, then if, if you don't, you're wasting your time sitting here. Then you should have partied last night, had a bubble us this morning. Just had fun. Because then that's all there is. And he says, even if you believe that, bad company. So even if you believe that and you hang out with people that don't, and he's not talking about lost people. He's talking about people in church. Those people will take you to places you don't want to go. They'll bring you to a place where your faith will be ungrounded and you'll be in trouble. 
So do you believe that gospel? Because if you do, what is in your life at the moment? What is in your life that is not glorifying God? What are the symptoms? And maybe it's not these symptoms. Maybe it's other things. Maybe it's, it's not things that, that Paul wrote in, in the book of Corinthians. Maybe it's found in other places, other letters. None of us are perfect and it includes me. What is your symptom? Because if there's any, it means there's something about the gospel that you either don't believe or is not part of who you are at your very core. So we're going to have communion. But what I want you to do is I want to fetch the elements and come back to your seat. Don't take it yet. We're going to watch a video first. So get the elements, come back to your seat, and we'll have communion. You hear the sound of the trumpet. That's what happens when, there's a, when enemies are on the way. The trumpet sounds. You're warned. This series has warned us. They've told us, get your lives in order.
when we take the communion tonight, is your life in order? It's easy to say, save communion, because that's what the word says, we must celebrate. But before you take the bread, because when it was broken, do you realize what actually it is? It's the body of Christ that was broken for you and me. He's beaten to a pulp. We've been warned. Are you, are you hearing the warning? Are you accepting the warning? I give you a choice tonight. It's for free. It's for free. Make a choice. Turn away from sin. Renew the mind. That's repentance. When you take the body of Christ, take it in remembrance of him and what he done for us. If you're sitting here tonight and you know I'm not right, we'll pray with you afterwards. But guys, I don't want you to leave here tonight before you have sorted your life out. People say it's difficult. It's not difficult. It's a choice. And it's for free. It's for free. It costs Jesus everything. It's going to cost you to make a choice. Let's take the body of Christ. take the cup we think what is it it's just a juice no it's more than a juice it's the blood of Christ it symbolizes the blood of Christ he had nothing left he had absolutely nothing left because he shed it for us so when you take the cup tonight and you drink it as it flows through your body that it touch places that's not right. Feel it going through your body, through your veins. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what he did. That's what he did. So let's celebrate. And take the cup. And let's drink.
Gospels. So I'll put the video on social media. You guys can go watch the video. It's just a little short skit. And it's Peter talking to Jesus after his return. Now, most of you will know that Peter stood next to a charcoal fire and he denied Jesus three times as prophesied by Jesus. And the rooster crowed and he ran away crying, realizing what he'd done. And when Jesus returned, the guys are out fishing. They're supposed to be making disciples, but they're out fishing. And they catch nothing. And Jesus speaks from the shore and then they start catching fish. And when they get to shore, he's made a fire, a charcoal fire. And he stands there with Peter. You can imagine what's going through Peter's mind. He's smelling the same smoke he smelt. He's seeing Jesus through the haziness of the smoke as he did that night. Can you imagine what's going on in his heart at that moment? And he's thinking back of how cowardly he was. And then Jesus asked the question, Peter, do you love me? Can you imagine the emotion that Peter must have felt at that time? Confronted with himself and his cowardice and arrogance. God asked him three times because three times he denied. God restores Peter's faith. He restores his emotions. He raises him up spiritually all by asking three questions and all three starting with Peter. Peter, Peter, he called him by name, he calls you by name, every single one of you, he made you, he loves you, he's got a plan for you, you've got a purpose, he knows every tear, every laughter, every hope and dream, and he knows where you miss him. knows those symptoms in your life you can't hide them from him all he's asking you to do is stand in front of him as Peter did and just respond with yes Lord as Peter did when he calls you on your name so I just want to give a moment if there are some of those symptoms in your life God's calling your name right now. Won't you respond with, yes, Lord. You and him, around that fire. Yes, Lord, I've missed it. But yes, Lord, I love you. Won't you restore what is broken in me so that I can walk in the purpose that you've given me. Just take a minute. Respond to God calling you on your name right now.
if you are here tonight and you've never responded to the gospel and said yes Lord don't let that go tonight I don't know about two different people types of people one if you haven't ever responded to the gospel in their way and said yes Lord here I am my life is yours I want you to come out afterwards if you're stuck in a place and you say, man, there's stuff in my life that I just can't, can't let go. Come for prayer as well. We'll be in front. But in this heritage day, never forget that your heritage is eternal. It is not based on your culture, your color, your creed, your language. Celebrate that. God has given you his major that way. Celebrate it. But never make that the one thing. Jesus Christ, his kingdom, your culture. Amen. You're welcome to our fellowship. If you've never responded or you need prayer, please come forward. Be blessed. Amen.